there. Welcome to another episode of the Calf Kick Experience. We're bringing you a special episode of the Calf Kick Experience because we've officially been doing this for over two months and we're finally in the double digits. This is CKE number 10. I'm Zach, the greasy monkey, Gleason, here with my co-host Gage Grillin and Chillin Hamby. And I guess this is kind of a special episode, too, because this is our first location podcast. Gabe, tell everybody where you're at. I'm in Port Aransas, Texas, on the coast, having a great time. What about you? You back home? Back in coming from the big K, as usual, but uh, not rocking the usual beard, uh, sporting the baby face assassin look, and, you know, in support of Brandon Moreno, the first ever Mexican champ last week. Did you I also debating- get a haircut? No, I just wore a good hat. My girlfriend says it looks like a do-rag, but I don't think so. She's just also super against fitted hats, but that'd be what it is. No, I thought about coming with the uh, porn star stash, the pencil-thin porn star stash, but, you know, when I sit outside in the sun too much, my my facial hair gets blonde and can't really see it. So I said, why not Brandon Moreno it tonight? Baby face is Sasha. I was about to say. Good weekend of fights last week. What were your first impressions? What did you thought? I mean, I did pretty good all, all told. I'm pretty sure I went 5-2 and two on the weekend, including our one pick and bell tour. So, not bad. Um, Brad Bridell pulled out a big win after a scary first round. Pretty much the only one I whiffed on, in my opinion, was Damian Maya. Um, also, Figueredo came out and looked like complete dog shit. I don't know if he was scared or what the issue was with him, but he just did not look good at all. No, yeah, I, I'm going to get to my opinions in a second, but I actually forgot something. Gage and I have two major announcements we've been sitting on for about two weeks that I think we're finally ready to come clean with. I'm going to take the first half. I'm going to let you get the big news coming up second. But, uh, you know, the first piece of big news is as much as we love doing this show from afar and playing with the computers and, doing all the video editing apart and the production value that we put on the end of the show, all the hard work you guys don't see behind screen. We're finally going to bring you an episode of the calf kick experience, hopefully next week in person. More than anything, I just miss my friend and can't wait to sit down and have a beer, talk some fights in person and, you know, get to watch some fights in person. Gage, hit him with the, hit him with the second piece hey, of big news. This is, this hey, is the good stuff we've been here, waiting for. Here comes the one-two McGregor down the pipe, son. If you are still watching this video, I know we're only about two minutes in. But we have our first UFC veteran guest coming on next week in person. So y'all are going to get two videos next week in person. Me and Gage on the first video. And in the second video, we're going to host an interview Brendan the Badger O'Reilly, former UFC rostered fighter and former contestant on the Ultimate Fighter Nations, Canada versus Australia. So we got a big week coming up. Hopefully we still have some people watching this and hopefully, you know, we figure out the mics, the video and stuff a little bit better. And hopefully we start to gain some followers, gain some support and move up the chain. We've been talking about climbing the ladder for the whole week. So hopefully we bring the juice and bring you all a good video today. Hell yeah, dude. Not only are you going to get to see an interview with a UFC fighter, there's going to be some extracurricular activity that's going to be also very fun to watch. Oh, yeah. We're 
we haven't sold out yet. I wouldn't call Gage and I YouTubers yet, but we're definitely trying to add some entertainment value to this show. So not only are y'all putting money in the bank, but you're not struggling through watching an hour and 25 minutes of us just ramble about bullshit. Absolutely. Well, Zach, let's get into where we were wrong and where we were right last week. Let's recap. We could definitely do that. I, um, you know, I went under 500. I tried to bet the whole card and probably didn't pay enough attention to the undercard because I did fairly well. I mean, you called me on it. I picked pretty much all favorites. You know, I didn't hit Moreno. I didn't hit Paul Craig, which I should have swapped and turned my mind around on, you know. I figured it might have made me look like I had small balls, but, <laughs> you know, I had to do it. I went six and eight on the whole card. I think that's including our Bellator pick as well, where you beat me. We'll have to cover that here in a second, but I don't know. I wouldn't, I would swap a couple of those fights because there were definitely a couple of close split decisions. I think Brad Riddell definitely beat Drew Dober. I think they got that one right. But I think I was JoJo, close, though. I was I close. think JoJo turned it on at the end of her fight. And, you know, I definitely could have seen her winning two and three in that fight. But to the same degree, Pani Kianzad did not win her fight, and they gave her a decision. So I, it wouldn't have affected my betting. I just always have to note when the judging doesn't seem arbitrary to me. So okay. – Sometimes in this sport of ours, it, it comes down to those fucking judges, and they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah. No, Much and slap digs. Much slap. Regardless of regardless of my pick and my opinion on Lauren Murphy versus JoJo Calderwood, I have to say, I feel real stupid about betting against a lady from my own hometown. Trained with Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis speaks the world of her. And I decided to pick the other girl. No offense to JoJo Calderwood, but You're talking if about anybody Lauren out Murphy. there wants to shame me for that, I'll, I'll take it with open arms because it's deserved. All right, man. Well, what were your thoughts from our Bellator fight that we picked last week? <sighs> I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I really thought the spotlight was going to get to this guy. And I thought, you know, the calf kicks at Douglas Lima, I thought, he would be able to control range a little bit better and slow this guy down early in the fight so that the takedown wouldn't be as big and as effective later in the fight. But like I said, you're going to have to take over because you're the one that nailed this. That dude wrestled him all night long, dominated on the ground, and you know may or may not influence my decision to pick Douglas Lima's brother this weekend on the zombie versus EJ card. Well, I mean, there's just such a big discrepancy between like – MMA wrestlers and guys that are mostly strikers and don't have a, like wrestling background. I, th I honestly think the most besides obviously not getting hit in the face, but being a good defensive wrestler is probably one of the like greatest skill sets any mixed martial artist can have. Unless they are an offensive wrestler, in that case, you know they can will them way their way into uh, into winning, kind of like we saw Austin Vanderpoort do a few weeks ago. And uh, Uslav Amslav uh, last week won the welterweight championship for Bellator, man. It's just like you really cannot pick against a wrestler at this point unless you know his opponent. I was That's about to say. better defense. The only, the only thing that probability really shows me at this point, you know, maybe we got to go back and start, you know, talking those top three 
co co main events from the top down and just kind of break them down for a second. But maybe Izzy versus Marvin, we could say the striker got the better of the wrestler. But like, other than that, in main events, big fights, the only other one I can think of is when Derek Lewis knocked out Curtis Blades. But I think that's because everybody and their grandmother who doesn't even watch UFC knew Blades was going to shoot and Derek Lewis just timed it really well. He definitely drilled that punch 100,000 times in his training camp. And obviously, he devastatingly knocked out Curtis Blade. So it, it worked. I mean, you also got to look at Izzy. He has great wrestling defense. He even kept um, Young, when he fought at 205, trying to go get that light heavyweight strap. He kept Young off of uh, him, trying to get him down for the first two or three rounds, if I, don't mis- if I recall correctly. It took him to, like, the championship rounds for Jan to get Izzy to the ground. And at that point, it was anybody's fight. That just kind of really sealed the deal for Jan. No, yeah, I think that's a perfect segue into let's just talk about the main event last week. Let's just wrap it up now. I think what you kind of pointed at that I wanted to say the stat I got was that Marvin had four takedowns, which is, you know, you see four takedowns, guys probably doing some work on the ground. He had a decent amount of ground control, but – but the point I'm trying to make here is on the ground out of those four times, Izzy got up twice pretty easily. Once Marvin got him down, I believe in the third round, kind of towards the center of the cage. And Izzy walked all the way back to the wall, used the cage to get up. And then the other two times, Izzy reversed the position and ended up, you know, in the offensive position on top by the time this ground exchange was done. I don't know. I'm going to ask you the question and tee this one up. Personally, I think 50-45 was a bogus score here, but I imagine you think differently, so hit me with your um, best shot. So, if you don't know what 50-45 means, that means that all all three judges scored every single round that was won by Adesanya, which, you know, it's obviously debatable, but there wasn't a definitive moment either round where he said, yeah, Vittori landed some damage, took control of the octagon, and, you know, controlled the fight. I, I mean, it was debatable in, you know, a, couple, a few rounds. But, you know, it wasn't definitive in my perspective at all. No, agreed. I think I saw somebody who said you could have scored one, two, and or three for Vittori. And I said that person was on crack. I'm not convinced that 50-45 is, outlandish, is, out, is as outlandish as, as that. Excuse me. But, um. You know, I thought Vittori had some good moments of ground control. And a lot of this is kind of sounding hypocritical when I criticize it with, you know, Izzy kind of looked like he was playing with him for a good chunk of that fight. And then Izzy came out when I was kind of getting excited, even though I picked out Asanya. Vittori had his neck. He had him in a rear naked choke. And Izzy came out in the press conference and said, I wasn't even scared. Like, I felt no danger there. And then I, then I reversed the position and spun out. Then Marvin went for... A heel hook, but, like, I thought that round was – the third round was kind of slow. They did trade punches. Marvin delivered, and I just thought the submission attempts were what won him the round. I wouldn't have given him anything higher than 10-9, but I, – I think you bring up a point – a good point there. The uh, the attempted rear naked choke by Marvin, that's the – like, that is the most, like – on edge I have ever been watching an Adesanya fight thing like holy crap you know he might get submitted here you know he might lose it here and like I thought he was in a bad bad position which he was but he somehow managed to slip out of it and reverse the position props to him 
but that was that was the most danger I think Izzy's ever been in in a UFC fight, in my opinion. No, I could. Yeah, I mean, realistically thinking about it, there were some moments like where I didn't feel like he was in danger, but I, there were some moments where I thought he was losing the Yoel Romero fight, but like that was that was just the like that was a snoozer. That was a snooze fest. That's what I mean. I, you know, I don't really ever recall him being in what I would say is trouble. I mean, but, that was the closest he ever got. But, you know, he came out with the victory. And still, the new, I mean, they're not new, but, you know, retaining champion, whatever you want to call it. Um, and his call out at the end, when he got the microphone after he won that fight, I mean, that's great, A. That's what you have to do with that moment, for superb. sure. He said, let's fight in my hometown this time, bitch. Talking yeah, Robert, I'm the king. Yeah, talking to Robert Whitaker. Uh, that would be the second time they fight. I mean, I also like that he said, Bobby Knuckles is my arch nemesis. And not only did he say that, he said, my arch nemesis, my arch nemesis. What's that guy's name again? He said, uh, Bobby, Bobby Knuckles. I was like, dude, that's, that is, that's how you keep me watching this. That's hands down one of my favorite nicknames. Like, fuck the Reaper. It's fucking Bobby Knuckles, son. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So, after... Talk your, hold on. Talk your early thoughts on that fight. Do you think Whitaker can get it done a second time? Just early prediction. Starting now, thinking now. I'm a big Robert Whitaker fan, Bobby Knuckles. But I just... I don't think... Like, he's going to give Adesanya the biggest run for his money, in my opinion, in the uh, middleweight division. However... Yeah, I just don't think he has what it takes to take down the champ. You know, he's just so dominant. He's so much not girthier than every 185. He's just so much lengthier, and uh, he moves a lot better than everybody else. So I, I still think uh, Izzy takes it. But I think the point that I want to bring up is, what do you think is going to happen if he rematches Whitaker again and beats him? I mean, he's pretty much cleaned out the entire fucking division. Like a la John Jones making another appearance on the fuck pod, but um, what do you think? Like, does he go back up to two hundred five and try to reclaim that strap? I mean, what does he do from here? I think it makes a lot of sense for him to try to go to two hundred five and then eventually, you know, complete the plan if he can beat Blahovich or whoever the champ is and try to go triple belt and get to John Jones if that's feasible, depending on what John Jones does, obviously. But uh. I mean, I think long story short, the way it plays out in my head is that Marvin Vittori is probably going to want to fight again soon, and so is Izzy. I could imagine seeing them even possibly on the same card in October, maybe November. But I think by that point, we'll have Darren Till back. I know Costa had called out Vittori, but I think if you put Darren Till in there with Vittori, let him fight it out, and Till wins, Till becomes the automatic number one contender and then there's at least one more fight for Adesanya to do at 185. If Vittori gets over on him, you can always give Costa, stupid Boroshina, his wish and, uh, you know, let Vittori fight Costa. And at that point, Izzy will say, this is boring. There's nobody else left for me to beat. Maybe he'll vacate a belt and say, let my kids play with it because I'm daddy because he says stuff like that all the time. And then he'll move to 205 and gain the weight, do the physical experiment and, really give it a shot at 205. 
Well, I don't really, I don't know about you, but I don't really see any upcomers, up and comers at 185. There's nobody, there's no how much Shamaya in the picture at 185, you know? You know, Kevin Holland, Kevin Holland was the big thing, but, you know, he got fucking smashed by everybody. Shabazian just lost too. Who? Edmund Shabazian. Oh, yeah, that's right. To Jack Romanson. Uh, I just I think Izzy's gonna get bored at 185 at some point. He knows he's, mean, he he's arguably going to be the greatest 185er of all time with the path that he's on. He's still I mean a few belt defenses behind Anderson Silva. I mean at, at least six or seven, but at that point like he's not he's not running his belt defense streak up because he wants to go do something else because he's bored there. Anderson Silva beat the shit out of a lot of guys who probably shouldn't have been in the cage. Yeah. Not to say that Anderson Silva is not great, but some of those 10 belt defenses were not as legitimate as others. Let me leave it at that. I mean, also you have to look at the path out of Sonya took. He demolished everybody on his way to the belt. Especially if he knocks out Bobby Knuckles again. Especially if he knocks out Bobby Knuckles again. I, I don't know. I think his title defenses are a little lackluster, i.e. Yellow Romero. You know, it, was, it wasn't a great performance by any stretch of the imagination. It was a good performance, but this last week wasn't great by any stretch of the imagination. It was no, nearly it, as dominant as he's been. So it'll be interesting to see. Well, I was about to say, at this point, Izzy does not owe Vittoria a third fight by any means. No. Izzy does not owe Paulo Costa shit at this point. I think the only person that even rings the bell of Izzy stay at 185, I'm going to beat your ass, is Darren Till. Especially because Darren a trash talker, too, and will try to get under his skin as easily as Adesanya will try to get under his. Interesting, interesting, interesting. I think it Love makes it. a lot of sense, we, but go to Piggy Moreno. Oh, hold up. We got to talk about our boy Nate Diaz. Oh, Leon and Naderade. Dude. Nate or Nate got dominated pretty much the entire fight up until that last few minutes of round five when he stunned Leon. And dude, I don't think I've ever heard a crowd roar as loud when he shook Leon and almost won the fight in the closing seconds. No, absolutely. I actually would like to give Leon a positive and a negative, just generally. The positive is he dealt with the Diaz army all weekend at the weigh-ins at the press conference in the stands not a single person there was probably cheering for leon edwards except for the people behind closed doors like us who bet money on leon edwards because we're not stupid but regardless my negative is that leon had a really big opportunity leon could have jumped colby covington and fought uzman next if he had done something super impressive not a knock on nate diaz but in my eyes, Leon looked a lot more like he was fighting not to lose than he was fighting to win. There were some points where I thought he really could have opened it up. And I'm not salty about him not getting the finish, but I'm like, you won the fight. Kudos to you. 49-46, you gave Diaz the last round, which was kind of important to prove that you could fight for five rounds. Regardless, I'm not impressed. That was pretty lackluster from Leon, a guy that I was pretty high on going into this week. I mean, I don't think it – I think it's a lot harder going against Nate Diaz because the guy is fucking indestructible, for one. For two, he's probably one of the hardest welterweights to knock out. You know, we saw one of the hardest 
welterweights get knocked out a few weeks ago and Masvidal. <clears throat> but Leon's just a tough dude, man. He's like he's like a nail. You can hammer him down all day long. He ain't going to go down. So I mean, it's just uh, I don't think it was necessarily a knock on Leon. I think he's I think he's still firmly entitled to contention, no matter what you want to say. Look. We're about to open a can of worms that I know you don't want to do. We may or may not have done this before on the show, but I know your opinion about it, and I don't care. I'm going to say it. I think my whole point in talking about Leon being more lackluster was that I think Colby definitely has the next title shot right now. Leon might have the one after that, and they might want to say, Leon, don't fight. Leon might say, I don't want to fight. But, you know, I think we've proven that the more he fights, the better he looks. I'm calling his conditioning into check after that fifth round. So I'd like to see him stay active. And I think the only thing that even makes sense for him at this point, you know, he could fight the winner of Gilbert and Steven Thompson, but I, I mean, I think that's a serious fight for Leon to lose. I think he's got a better chance putting on a massive pay-per-view, making his bag and fighting Masvidal. Put the BMF on the line. Put the BMF on the line. Hey, the three-piece in a soda. He, oh, that was bullshit. I like Masvidal. I picked him against Usman because I liked him. But the three-piece in a soda was bullshit, and I will choose – I won't choose Leon probably, but I will root for Leon the whole time and hope that I just burn my money. If you don't know what the three-piece in a soda means, uh, I, uh, I think it was a couple years ago, but Masvidal and Leon were backstage, and Leon was drawing to Masvidal, and, you know, Masvidal being Masvidal, said, come over here. And he gave him a three-piece and a soda combo. and bah, bah, bah. Before the people got in between and yeah. separated them and pulled them off. Exactly. Yeah, so the, the, they have beef. The, there's definitely money to be made there. But no, there's huge money. And the only reason we haven't seen that fight yet is because Masvidal going and putting his hands on Leon outside of the cage is illegal. You can't do that. And if they had given him that fight, every person with common sense would have said, let me go fight outside of the octagon and start beef because that's how I'm going to get the fight I want. But at this point, I think enough time has passed, and I think it makes sense for both of them at this point. But I like the idea of keeping the BMF alive. You have to do it after the three-piece in a soda. I think that's a good point. However, let's move on to this week. We have a fight night. Who's fighting, Zach? Who's our headliner? We have our boy that we watched win against Edson Barboozle together, Dan 50K Ige, fighting Chan Sung, the Korean zombie Jung. I don't like how you did that. That was fucking awful. What do you mean? Just call him the fucking Korean zombie. Nobody's going to remember his name. Well, I said it right. It's Chan Sung Jung. The guy's got a name. Hey, fuck his name, man. There's a reason why the UFC promotes him as a Korean zombie. No, you want to hear something crazy? At the I thought press there were two different people at first. At the press conference today at the media, the Dana White tried to like make him wear tape over his Korean zombie logo. Said he couldn't wear it. So he walks up to the stage, turns his chair around, and flashes a massive Korean zombie logo on the back of his shirt. That's it, was pre- it was pretty cool, but... I think we got a solid main main card this week. I think we have a solid five fights. And even though it's not the name guys that we saw last week, it's going to be competitive. I have 
100% agree with you, man. Uh, there's one thing I can always stand by in the sport of mixed martial arts. It's almost better, and you have more fun enjoying the entertainment of the sport when you don't know who the fuck's fighting. Like, honest God, you can just sit there and be like, well, I'm not rooting for any of them because I don't know either of their names. And they just go out and kick the shit out of each other, and it's fucking awesome. So, I mean, there's no reason not to watch if there's names that you don't know, especially that's going to be broadcasted on ESPN. I, you know, I can't find any disagreement there. Especially. Let's, get, let's get into our breakdowns, man. Let's do it. Start at the start me at the bottom. All right, brother. We got Diego Lima, brother of the former welterweight champion in Bellator, uh, Douglas the Phenomalia Lima, who lost last week. He's fighting good old Matt Brown, the immortal. This guy's been around for fucking ever. And he's how old is Matt Brown? I think that's important to let everybody in on. Yeah, he's 40 years old, six foot, 170. Um, guy's been around forever, coming off a loss in January to Carlos Conduit and another loss to uh, Miguel Baez of the Carmel Thunder. But, uh, yeah, man, he's just had a rough rough patch over the past few years. I mean, he really hasn't been on a winning streak since 2014. Obviously, fought some of the greats. You know, you got Cowboys, Cerrone, Damian Maia, Big Rick Hendricks, Robbie Lawler. Um, but he's old, man. You know, Diego Luma is 31. He has a two-inch or two-inch height advantage. Um it should be it should be a very interesting fight, I think. But I don't know about you. I'm going with Diego Lima. I'm not gonna let the other Lima brother bite me in the ass like you did last week. Oh man. I'm gonna do it. I don't see a whole bunch from Diego Lima that I find spectacular. Neither I do think I. A, I think he's a decision fighter. I don't see a whole lot of power and a lot of the ways that I see Matt Brown losing statistically are knockout, TKO, KO, KO, TKO, submission. And the last fight, he only went to decision because it was with Carlos Condit, who is equally as old as he is. And so, Zach loves to bet against low-T cities. Oh, hell no. Not this time, brother. The point I'm making here is that I think Matt Brown will be able to sustain Diego Lima because I find him rather unspectacular. And I don't know if it'll be a decision, but Matt Brown still hits hard for a 40-year-old man. Diego Lima is going to have to do work to control the distance with the Douglas Lima leg kicks. And then, obviously, he's going to have to keep himself off the ground because we know the Limas don't wrestle. <laughs> we found that out the hard way last week, that the Limas do not fuck with wrestling, even though they're from American top team. That dude, I don't know. I can't remember how to say his name, but the guy that beat Lima last week Amazon. is already number – he's number five in Bellator pound-for-pound pound rankings. I don't he know how the fuck that is. I mean, he's 26-0. and 0. I feel like a jackass for picking against him. <laughs> I told you, dude. I was like, this guy has the longest winning streak in MMA right now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just – I'm not picking against a low-team Matt Brown. What are the odds, brother? Let's see. I know I know Lima's the favorite. I know Lima's the favorite. I'm not sure by how much. Let's 
I'm not seeing it. I hope the fight didn't. Oh, there it is. Lima's minus 172, and Matt Brown is plus 158. So after your call like out it. last like week. The minus 172. No, no, hell no. And I'm not really seeing a whole lot of, like, prop value in this fight because. I don't think, I think it's going to be. I mean, it's just unpredictable. Well. There's a lot of ways this could play down. But, you know, I might have to play into my intuition and take Matt Brown at plus 158 with a little bit of money after you called me out for only picking favorites last week. I got to start off with a dog. All I got to right. start off with a dog. I'll take Diego Lima. I I think this one might be a might be a snooze fest. It very well could be. I just uh, this is not one of the more exciting ones on the card. So let's move on. Uh, next, this was a hard, this was hard to find because there are two Bruna Silvas in the UFC. I was really I was really almost kind of upset because the one forty five freaking uh, one twenty five. 125 Bruno Silva, 185 Bruno Silva. Well, then 125 Bruno Silva is the one that I like. He made a big fan out of me with his last knockout. Yeah, I, I liked him too. But this guy, I couldn't really find any information on him. Uh, he He's a Brazilian, and all these fights come from M1, which is a uh, Russian promotion. I just I, I couldn't find any tape on him. I mean, he obviously has a bunch of fucking KO power. You can see this. There's, yeah, you know, four KOs in a row right here. Um, he's facing another Brazilian, and one of my favorite names in the fucking roster, Wellington Tournament. Like, what a fucking name, Wellington, and he's fucking Brazilian, man. This guy. Oh, is- he could have been called Beef Wellington Tournament. He, hey, the prodigy is sixteen and four. He's only twenty four years old. It's coming at middleweight. Uh. I did get I did get some uh information on him. He uh he's coming off a couple losses or two of his last three um in the UFC. I think his jujitsu is exceptional, his ground game is exceptional, except he likes to fucking brawl. He he's not he's not a real, you know, striker in the sense that he can stand in there. Of course he can deliver heavy hits, but he doesn't have the maneuverability the boxing defense to, to stand in there and bang with bigger guys. But seeing that uh, our boy Bruno Silva, the middleweight, is apparently a fucking knockout artist, I'm going to fucking take him. I'm sure he's the dog having a UFC debut, you know. Um, I just don't see our boy Wellington having enough boxing defense to stay in there and bang with him. No, I absolutely agree. I also was listening to some stuff earlier this week and heard, you know, Bruno Silva is a guy, the 185er, obviously. This guy is a guy that the UFC has been high on for a really long time. They've had their eye on him. And I think, you know, given this being his first UFC fight, this isn't a winner stays, loser leaves type of situation. But I think they want Bruno Silva to win. I think they want Bruno Silva to become that lack of challenge at 185 that we were just talking about. So just based on that, I think they gave him a fight that they think he can win. So I'm going Bruno Silva by knockout too. I, sorry, Wellington. Sorry, Wellington. But, I mean, how many times does a newbie, even a form, like hardly any former champions, their first UFC debuts on a main card, you know? 
did this. Oh, agreed. Is, there's a there's a particular reason why Dana White, Sean Shelby, and the boys fucking put our boy Bruno Silva, the 185er, on the main card. This is very unprecedented, unless you know you're a Michael Chandler coming from Bellator, former champion. I don't know if this guy was a former champion, but you know his record looks pretty solid, and he's obviously has to be very exciting to make a main card appearance on his debut. Where are the odds? Let's see. The odds on that one are Bruno Silva's minus 123 and Wellington's plus 123. All right. So I, I like my minus 123, obviously. I like minus 123 as well. Let's explain for our casual fans out there the minus and plus system. Minus means. Oh, you want me to get it? Yeah, go ahead. So minus is obviously minus money, meaning that you start at minus 123. I got, I usually do my math on a computer, but you bet $100, you get paid out 87 So you make $187. So you have to bet $123 to make back 100 To make back 100 yes. Okay. And if you're plus, plus, what is he? It's plus money, so... You bet $100, you're going to get back 110 on that, plus 110. You bet $100, you're going to get back plus 150 if you hit that bet. They're actually going to pay you out 250 but 100 of that is the money that you had to bet to make your bet. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit of the betting system, just kind of, you know. I was about to say, that was a weak description, and I'm sure I'm going to get burned for that, but long story short, long you- story short, it's all about – it's all based off of $100. Exactly. All right. So we're pretty set on that Wellington's going to get knocked the fuck out. Um, and I don't, I don't really see great value in – they have plus 200 for Silva by knockout, which I could see, but these prop bets have basically just been me saying, oh, I got to go take a dump. Let me pull my wallet out and flush money down the toilet because I haven't been able to hit one of those for – Two weeks, so I think I'm going to keep my hand out of that pot this week and just take Bruno Silva with pretty good favorite odds. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty good favorite odds. I'd like to, you know, very rarely do you ever get um, a newbie coming in with minus odds coming in as a favorite. So I was actually kind of shocked not knowing about the odds until today that he is actually the favorite. So, interesting. Moving on. Moving on. Sungwoo Choi, 9 and 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, our friend Sting from South Korea, I believe. Coming yeah. And against Juicy J, Julian Erosa. Wow. 28 or 25 and 8, man. He has a lot more experience than I thought at 31 years old. Coming at 6'1, 145. And Choi coming in at 6 foot, 145, obviously, since they're both. Uh, featherweights. Yeah. But Choi, I believe he's coming off he's coming off a win. Two decisions. Um, you know, there's not really anybody here in the UFC that he's fought that besides Gavin Tucker, that's um, a big name. Uh Gavin Tucker's pretty good in my opinion. Um Gavin Tucker's fine, but he's not you know, great. we saw the jump in competition in that division when he fought Ige. Yeah, of course, yeah. Ige fucking dismantled him fairly yeah, easily. That was rough. 
Juicy J, however, on the other point, had a fucking is coming off a nasty knockout versus uh, Nate Landor, Luter Lander. I don't, I don't know how to fucking say his name, but yeah, obviously has plenty of submissions in his games. Um, I, I just the uh, I think that Juicy J, Julian Arosa has too much sauce for this guy. Julian Arosa's hands always look really good. Clean, and like fresh. you said, for only being 31 years old, he has a lot of experience. I I look at Choi's record, and I see his last win is against Yusuf Zalal, where I haven't really made up my mind, you know, in terms of like... It was a snooze fest. Like, honestly, I, I watched the fight today. I it just... He's not exciting. Like, he does, doesn't have... The gas. Well, and I mean, in Zalal's last fight, he competed with Sean Woodson, but same thing. Like, not very fun to watch. A lot of just pinning him up against the cage and leaning on him. And then I look back and I see that he fought Mosar Evlov and then Gavin Tucker back to back, which looks like the UFC was saying, okay, we're pretty high on you at this time. Back in, you know, 2019, we're pretty high on you. We're going to give you the push. And he lost both of those fights. So, you know, there may be a chip on his shoulder. There may be something there. But I think Julian Arosa's hands are going to be too good. The experience is going to come into play. And one way or another, he's going to irk this one out. I got to check the odds for us real quick. Juicy Actually, day, man. I mean, I just think his, his striking is just so crisp. I, I, he doesn't really have necessarily the greatest submissions, even though he does have some submission wins. But he's outstanding on the feet, you know. He's in and out. Loves to use the jab. I, I just think there's going to be too much. I don't, I don't think Choi is fast enough to keep up with Erosa in this competition. And actually looking at the odds, based on how we're picking and on how things are seeming to go, I'm or feeling pretty favorites. confident. No, because Julian Erosa is plus 143. Choi's actually the favorite hey. here at minus 146. Hey. Big balls in Countdown. I think that's money right there. I think Julian Arosa. I think Julian Arosa is going to do it for us. But moving on, hit us with the next one, Gage. All right. Next on the, this is actually a pretty hefty card here. I think we have six or seven fights. We have Davy Grant rematching Marlon Chito Vera, the only loss on Sean O'Malley's plate. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. You take that back, you bastard. Sean O'Malley didn't lose that fight, and you know it. <laughs> Sean O'Malley didn't lose the fucking fight. I know. Sean O'Malley, come on the calf kick experience. Please, brother. Um, but yeah, he, he's two of three. Obviously, Sean O'Malley got injured in the fight and couldn't, couldn't continue. He fought in there, but so we're just not going to really count that. But Yad, Song Yadong. And Jose Aldo, Jose Aldo, however you fucking want to say it. Um, obviously, Jose is fucking one of the greats of the sport. And uh, they've already fought, like I said. But uh, Davey won that fight. And uh, I think that Davey's going to win this fight personally because of his body work. In his last fight, he did, however, slow down rounds two and three. I think actually two. He got a knockout, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he got a knockout. Um, he looked good. He's very active. 
I, w- I want to see how his uh, cardio holds up here, but I love how he works the body, um, loves to use kicks to the body, and I think that's really what did Cheeto Vero in in his last fight against Aldo, and what made him lose. So I'll hand it over to you and see what your thoughts are. I'm, I'm going to pick against you. I'm not sure what the odds are, so I'm not sure where I'm going in terms of favorite and underdog, but I thought in all seriousness, although we kind of do play around about Sean O'Malley didn't lose, Chino Vera did not look bad against Sean O'Malley, who's a great kickboxer, and that fight took place mostly on the feet. I think I think Chino Vera looked a little bit, you know, starstruck being in there with Jose, with Jose Aldo. I think that may or may not have played a factor there. But I think the big thing for me is that the first time they fought was in 2016. So that's five years ago. Cheeto Vera is only 28 and Davy Grant's 35. So looking back at their first fight, Davy Grant was 30 and Cheeto Vera was only 23. And Cheeto Vera also has more fights at this point. I don't think Davy Grant's been as active. And no, he hasn't. I just think Cheeto Vera's been in there with some real killers. And this might be a little bit of a fight that they're saying, dude, we really need you to get a win. We really need you to reassert yourself in this division because we're looking to make matches at 135. So come on and show us something. Especially because I don't see Cheeto Vera getting finished a lot. I can't imagine that that's how Davey Grant's going to come out and win this. And based on the Sean O'Malley kickboxing exchanges that I saw, I think Tito Vera is going to look, I guess, a little bit like like Rob Font almost, where he's going to be in and out, and Davy Grant's going to have a hard time keeping up with him throughout the fight. You know, obviously comparing Davy Grant to Jose Aldo and the uh, the body strikes comparisons, obviously a stretch. However, I do feel like that took a that was key to Jose's win. And it took a lot out of Cheeto as the fight went along. He didn't move. He didn't start moving like he normally does. So, and also I just, I saw great, you know, kicks. And like he really, Dave Grant really focused on the body in his last match. I think if he can continue with that kind of success, he's going to win this fight. Um, I don't necessarily see it going to KO or TKO. I think it's going to be another decision. I think both guys are really just decision fighters. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And to give you the odds, you're going dog again at plus 175. And I got one of, I think, if not the most sizable, definitely the second most sizable favorite on this card with Marlon Vera at minus 196. I'm trying to look for a good prop just to offer it to anybody that, you know, thinks it's fun like I do. We might be able to talk fight goes to decision at plus 100, but I kind of like... I kind of like more taking minus money at the fight goes over, what is it, on two rounds. Fight starts round three at minus 155. I mean, I guess that's all right. I don't know if I would go over two and a half rounds at minus 117 just in case something happens. But I guess that's just my little dabble. We can leave the prop bets alone. There's not, I mean, obviously, like, Davey Grant plus 175, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's big ball in Cowtown situation we have here. I think, I think it's a good, good bet, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't go all in on this one. 
it's just it's like we talked about at the beginning of this where it's more, a little bit more fun to watch guys that aren't household names because no matter how much you watch them i've noticed unless it's on a big card because like i kind of mentioned last week you look at the payout from the ufc event last week and the ufc had to pay biggie moreno izzy vittori leon and nate so some of those fights were a little bit more let's find let's find a little bit lesser of a fighter you know the female fights were awesome i won't ditch the female mma from last week but Carlos Felipe versus Jake Collier wasn't the most skilled mixed martial arts match I've never I've ever seen. No they offense, did bang. but they did bang. They did bang. I'll give them that. It was exciting, but in terms of skill for skill, tip for tat, it was B minus. It you know it was all right. My whole point is that a lot of these fights that we're talking right now, we could give you great analysis based on the statistics and the film and all the stuff we've done. But all of these fights are so unpredictable, we could come out and shit a goose egg. That's absolutely right. I mean, we try to watch as much as we can um, and do as much research as we can. But, I mean, these guys, they have, like, some of, like we said earlier, there's some of them even fought in the UFC before. Um, like, most of them haven't fought more than three times besides the main card and Cheeto and Davey. But, you know, most of these guys are green per se yeah and i i just think you know we can make good picks but at this point i've learned that mma math doesn't add up ever as much homework as we do and as much numbers as we crunch and look at statistics and strikes and all of that nonsense it's it's any given saturday any given saturday somebody could come out and knock somebody else out like, who was it last week? I never thought Matt Frivola was going to lose. And he got he got KO'd cold on the second punch. On seven seconds. Yeah, I mean, tied for, I believe, the third fastest knockout in UFC history with a couple of different guys, including our main eventer, Korean Zombie, as we move up the card. All right, well, let's keep on trucking along there, brother. He's bounded down, baby. All right, moving on. We got the heavyweights. The most senior guy, in my opinion, on the UFC record. Alexi Olenek, the boa constrictor, with some of the nastiest submissions you ever fucking saw. Obviously, he's coming off a two-fight loss streak. I mean, Derek Lewis, obviously, no slash about to fight for a title here soon, in my opinion. And Walt Harris. Uh, Chris Dawkins, I can't remember what happened here. Um, he did lose. I think he got knocked out, if I'm not mistaken. But his opponent, Sergey, the polar bear, Spivak, coming in at 12 and 2. Of note, this guy's 26. He's born in 1995. He's only a couple years older than us. Yeah, he's a, he's a little bit older than us. Sir, hey, Alexio Lenny, homeboy. Was born in 1970, fucking seven. He's, he's 40, almost the same age as my dad. Yeah, he's fucking 43 years old. 6'2", 140. Sergey is 6'3", 145. Sergey is obviously the bigger man. But breaking this fight down a little, a little further. Um, no, no offense to Sergey, but he's more of a wrestling kind of ground and pound type character. I'd say. Almost in a Curtis Blade type, 
but not nearly as effective with the ground and pound and getting a person to the ground like Curtis is. However, he's coming in to a fight where he's not going to want to do that because Alexio Linick, the boa constrictor, you only get that name out if you're choking people out. And with 59 wins to his career, he's choked out just about everybody that he's beat. And one of my personal favorites is the uh, the Ezekiel choke. Fucking love that. It's so I love uh, I love unique chokes. Uh, I guess you could say. But I just think uh, Alexia Lennox, he has too much experience, even though he's old. But Sergey is going to try to take this to the ground, and he's going to be in a world of hurt if, you know, he takes a Lennox down. I think he's just going to get caught in some kind of obscene chokehold. Yeah, no, I can absolutely see to the – I mean, in my mind, the only way I see Alexi Olenek coming out on top here is with a submission. But it sounds like you're going to go Olenek here and take the dog. I'm taking Sergey Spivak just because, I mean, the only time I've seen Sergey Spivak lose in the past couple of years is he lost to Walt Harris in the first round, which if you're going to lose to Walt Harris, it's going to be by a KO or a TKO in the first round. Yeah, I don't think... I don't think Alexi Olenek is going to come out and swarm him with that flurry of punches and put on the pressure. If anything, I think you're right. I think Alexi Olenek is prepared to be taken down and pull guard and do some sort of crazy submission off the bottom. But I think the big thing that I note here is I'm pretty high on Marcin Tybura, especially after his last fight. He's a really good wrestler. And he out-wrestled Sergey Spivak, but I haven't seen anybody else do it. I think like we said earlier, like you've been giving me shit for. I have a hard time picking an old fighter, a 43-year-old man, only because he may be good at jiu-jitsu. And if this is a jiu-jitsu match, a submission underground, I'm taking Alexi Olenek 100% of the way, big balls in Cowtown. But I think in an MMA fight, Spivak's going to be too big, too strong. And I, as long as he's careful on the ground and doesn't play into anything foolish – I could very easily see him grinding a Linux out just with big punches and elbows from the top. Well, I, I think that's obviously a, a possibility. However, um, I just I, – I, I didn't see enough, like, top control from Sergey Spivak in a dominant enough fashion to hold down a jiu-jitsu ace like a Linux himself. I also didn't see enough striking. I mean, obviously, he's a heavyweight. He has knockout power. But his fucking – his striking was so fucking loopy to me and, like, was just so streamlined and telegraphed that I don't think that it's going to be able to um, necessarily knock out Olenek. So I, I like that Olenek's more dominant in the jiu-jitsu game, and that's just kind of where I see this fight going – that's the most, I think, I'm trying to say here, the most dominant part of mixed martial arts that he has is more dominant than Sergey's best attribute in a certain type of skill. No, I can absolutely see that. But I think, I think you know, not looking at quality of opponent, because if you're basing it on names, 
Alexi Olenek has the way bigger names in the past couple of years. But I think what I base it on more than anything is that you look at it. He fought Overeem in 19. Overeem was no spring chicken. You know, he yeah, fought. lights knocked out. He got The only way he, he's losing is by getting his lights knocked out by guys that are just fantastic in boxing, kickboxing, striking. Well, but he lost to Walt Harris by a KO. He lost to Derek Lewis. Is he not a good striker? Are those not good strikers? No, I'm not, disagree- I'm not disagreeing with you, but my whole point is outside of Derek Lewis, who I believe they only threw Olenek in there with because Derek wanted to fight and they had to judge at this age in 2020, are you still a top contender in this division? Which obviously he proved he wasn't. But outside of that, Verdum's gone. Walt Harris is not looking good. Overeem's gone. Chris Dukakis is a young guy. He's coming up the same way Sergey Spivak is. And on the other end, while it's probably not, you know, as glorious, Jared Bandera just won a fight. Carlos Felipe just won a fight. Marcin Tybura just won a fight. Taitu Ivasa just won a fight, and he earned the co-main on the McGregor Poirier fight so, or card. So Taitu Ivasa is going to get paid. And you know he lost to Walt Harris, but I think you make good points. I, I think you make good points. But I think it's a stylistic difference at the end of the day. You know, I just don't see Olin again dominated in a wrestling fashion. Obviously, if he wasn't a jiu-jitsu ace like he is, like I'd have a totally different outlook. Because he's not a great striker. He's not going to knock anybody out. But his submissions are just so deadly. But I think we, we're at odds here. Give us give us the odds uh, on this one. Out. This I jinxed myself. This is the biggest favorite on the card. Sergey Spivak's minus 219. So personally, I'm probably not going to touch this as badly as I want to. But at plus 200, you're getting good money on Alexi Olenek for sure. That's value. That's definitely value. I mean, I wouldn't hammer it down, per se, or give it big balls in Cowtown. But I, was about I do to say, like look, Let's see. Let's see, too, just for such. Olenek wins by submission. Is that plus 325? So, I don't hate that. I don't hate that at all. I like I mean I personally like that. I mean if he's gonna win the fight, that's in my opinion, that's how he's gonna win the fight. You know which one I also am seeing, you know, these numbers sometimes just excite me a little bit too much. But Spivak wins by decision at plus six seventy seven. Damn. Taking Sergey to just survive for three round or taking Alexi to just survive for three rounds. I don't hate that at all. Dude, even though I want to pick a Linux, I could definitely see it going to Spivak for a decision. I don't think Spivak's going to knock him out at all. So, what, plus 675? Yeah, that, plus 675. That's definitely worth your money. I Yeah, I mean, in terms of just value, if I'm right. going to play one prop bet this week, it might be that one. I, I mean, honestly, you could bet everything else and – make that your last bet and you can win everything back. That's pretty much true. All right. We're pretty much set on this. Let's move on to the co-main. No, that, that is the co-main, right? Yep. We're moving on to the main event. Dan 50 K E J coming in a 15 and three solid record. 
145 with a 71 inch reach. His opponent, the Korean zombie, Chan Sung Jun, 16 and 6, 5'7, 146. Obviously, they're going to be both 145 by the end of the week. He has a 72 inch reach. I believe Ige has a 71 inch reach. So, pretty, pretty much very, uh, very, very, very evened up here. Uh, obviously, Ige coming off that incredibly fast knockout of Gavin Tucker before that. You know, a loss to Calvin Cater, but Calvin Cater is a fucking killer, despite what many people saw when he faced uh, our boy, Blessed Holloway. But, I mean... Best is blessed, but the fact that Calvin Cater went to... I believe that went to the distance. That went all five rounds, didn't it, decision? It it did. It was one of the biggest one-sided victories I think anybody's ever seen in the sport of mixed martial arts. Well, that's the fact that Max Holloway beat the crap out of him and didn't knock him out shows the dude can take a punch. He's got a chin on him. And Calvin Cater, in terms of technical boxing and mixed martial arts, is about as good as they come. Which is crazy considering Max Holloway and considering, you know, the circumstance of that victory. I mean, if you look at the Korean Zombies record here in the UFC, I mean, shit. He beat Dustin Poirier by a submission round four, lost to Aldo, lost to Yair Rodriguez, who's a beast. Unfortunately, we're not going to be seeing him next month. And low-T city, Brian Ortega. I mean, obviously, fucking great, great names on here even if he had, does have a few losses. But, I mean, the zombie, he's definitely earned that nickname. He's tough as shit. One of the toughest guys in the UFC, in my opinion. Uh, I've gone back and forth on this all week, but I'll let you uh, go ahead and make your pick first before I disclose mine. <laughs> I feel like this is just setting me up to lose again because it's like rock, paper, scissors. I want to do what I was thinking originally now, but now I'm trying to figure out what you're going to do. That's making me want to change my mind, but I think, I think I'm feeling pretty confident about this one. I think Ige is a really good boxer. Ige hits really hard, and Ige doesn't get put to sleep. You know, Calvin Cater went to a decision. Barbosa went to a decision. We're talking about some pretty high-level guys, and whether or not you believe he beat Barbosa – Split decision, debatable. There's a lot of things we could talk about there. But whether or not you think he won, he got the victory. I think one of the things that kind of scares me about this pick is that we treat the Korean zombie a lot like Jose Aldo. They're both only, what, 30, 34 years old. But they've been doing this for so long, it's like, shit, they might be 40 at this point. Jose Aldo's only 36. Oh, so yeah. I don't think I mean, MMA is a hard sport in the body, too. You have to figure that in. No, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think the zombie's taking a lot of damages because the more you look at his record, you're talking about him fighting five whole rounds with Ortega, where he was taking massive spinning back fists, getting knocked down. He ate a lot of punches in that fight. He ate that vicious elbow from Yair Rodriguez. Jose Aldo got over him. I know. I know we're talking about years ago. But if I look at Zombie's record, I'm only seeing, you know, Carnero, not super impressive. Frankie Edgar was washed by 2019. And Ortega just dominated him. I'm calling the same way I did to Leon Edwards. I'm calling Korean Zombie's conditioning into check at this point. Not because I think his chin is cracked and that he can't still take a punch. But 
I just don't know if he can go five whole rounds with a sig- not significantly, but with Dan Ige, who's five years younger at this point, and you know, a guy that can take a punch and give one back. I mean, I've also gone back and forth on this one. Like I said, I, I do think that the zombie can't stand in the pocket with him and absolutely trade all day. I think he's one of the tougher guys in the whole UFC, which is a sport of fucking tough guys. So that means something. But I, I do see two st- distinct differences in this fight. One, Danny Gay has fucking knockout power for 145, 100%. Kind of shut the lights off of just about any man at his weight. However, on the other side, you have the zombie and a jiu-jitsu ace. I mean, the first fucking ever twister submission. Like, hold on. Let me just Google this for our viewers real quick. Just to, just to show them what a, a twister submission. I actually, actually, let's before I accidentally, you know, fucking search something bad here. Korean zombie twister. Submission. Submission. Have, yeah, yeah. You have you have no idea. Uh, yeah, basically here it is. I mean, it's just a spine lock. I mean, it looks supremely not comfortable at all. You can see it's just contorted, you know, torso right here. But anywho, it does not feel good. No, it's one of the craziest submissions in mixed martial arts. We I, talk about it all the time. And one of the things that makes it so interesting is that you have to work one of your arms all the way under the other guy's head and other arm, almost in a crucifix-type position. Not quite, but with your arm under the head and under the arm. So it looks like, you know, you might open yourself up to get punched in the face really hard, but once you lock that baby in, no, there's nobody in the world that's tough enough to not tap from a, from a freaking spine lock, from a twist. Absolutely. So, like, I just – I don't know, Zach – what do you think? You think the one punch knockout power by Dan Ige, or do you think the submissions and the ground game by the Korean Zabi? Like, help me out here. Well, some of the things I have to factor in is that Ige and Ige actually started out as a little bit of an underdog. At one point around Tuesday, I believe, they were pretty close to even money. And now Dan Ige is minus 116. Chan Sung Jung's plus 118. So all the money is coming in on Dan Ige at this point, shifting the line to him being a favorite. Okay, which, I'm going to go with Ige too. It's I was about to say that leads me because somebody in Vegas has to know something. And then at that point, the, the prop bet on Korean Zombie to get a submission, as much as I want to blow my eyes out of my head and say, plus 1,100, that's, you know, if I just accidentally hit that, that's going to be sweet. But I mean, you might want to hedge your bet there. I, I bet Dan Ige, but plus eleven hundred, that's looking fucking mighty tasty, just for you know a hundred dollar prop bet. And that hundred dollars win a eleven hundred. Yeah, that's my whole tasty. thing though, and I'm with you. I'm taking fifty k here, just because I I heard some things after the Ortega fight. Korean Zombie said, "I want to step down an opponent." I want to, you know, train and get better, but I don't want to fight somebody like Yair Rodriguez again or Max Holloway or Brian Ortega or somebody who's going to not let me display the skills that I've learned and practice some things that I don't get to do in those competitive fights. 
So I kind of think he's underestimating Ige a little bit, which is dangerous because, like we said, dude can take a punch and the dude can throw a punch. He's tough as nails. Ige, what scares me is that I have seen him come close to being submitted. However, when you look at his record, it was Mirsad Bektic that almost got him. He was in a really dangerous position. But if you look at his record, he's only ever won by submissions. He's never been submitted. I don't see Korean Zombie knocking him out. I just think, like we've seen in the past with Zombie, somewhere in the fourth or fifth round, he's going to fade because my other thing is that he didn't even want to fight five. He was, he was arguing for a co-main event slot because he only wanted to fight three rounds. I think Ige will be in a lot better shape and not saying Zombie hasn't done what it takes to prepare for a five-round fight, but I think Ige's kind of embracing this and Zombie's just doing it because he needs something to do at this point where he's not going to, where he doesn't think he's going to get his ass kicked. I think fourth or fifth round again, like I said, Ige's going to finish with TKO punches. Well, those are our fucking picks for the week. You can always count your boy Jeep Money over here to make you some money. I'll tell you that right now. I was about to say, if there's a week for me to shine, it's right now. But Fuck y'all know me. what that means. Y'all Bullshit. know. People that watch this goddamn channel know that I'm the fucking breadwinner here. No, you're not. We'll see. We'll see after this week. Right. We're about to bring it to our five-minute Championship fifth round countdown, run some things, mixed martial arts, media, news, and then we'll be out of here. Ready? Timer set. Yeah. You know what? Sponsored by the only sport in the world, too, where if you're fighting in a main event or a championship, they add extra time. There's Absolutely. no fifth quarter in the Super Bowl. There's no 11-inning World Series games, and the NBA Finals aren't 12-game series Everything's the same except for mixed martial arts. So I think that's something that keeps it interesting. But you ready to fight? Let's fight. Let's fight. Let's do it. Boom. Start us off, Gage. All right, brother. What do you think about next week? How Tai Tuivasa is the co-main event over our boy Sean O'Malley? I think it's kind of bullshit. I think Sean O'Malley has a bigger fan following, obviously. I think. Sean O'Malley has done nothing short of impress everybody and deserves that spot. But I think Tai Tuivasa versus Greg Hardy might be a little bit more fun for the fans because those big guys are probably going to stand right in the middle and just swap hands and bang. I think Tai Tuivasa has paid his dues to the promotion as well. So I, you know, I feel good for him, but unless Greg Hardy's made significant improvements, I'm taking an early pick on don't really like his chances against Tai Tuivasa. I have to agree with you. Just the early outlook on that. I'm going to back, go back and do some more work on this. But Greg Hardy, big name. Tai Tuivasa, they're really pushing him hard. I've noticed they want they, they got him on the fucking Nelk Boys YouTube channel and all that. And he, you know, televised his whole, I do a, I do a fucking shoey, mate, kind of huh. shit. And drinking beer out of fucking shoes. But, uh. I think it's fun. I think he's I, – I have nothing against either of the fighters. I just think they're missing an extreme opportunity to showcase Sean O'Malley, definitely against a lesser opponent. No no offense to Lee Smoka, but I just feel like, you know, put the spotlight on Sean O'Malley. He He's an entertainer in, our, in the sport, and I think that's that has a lot of bearing 
especially Kogut should sports. never be fighting in anything less than a co-main or a main at this point, unless it's on a massive card with two belt fights. Absolutely. But moving on, let's talk about Figgy a little bit. We touched on it earlier, but he just looked dazed, man, in that fight. He never found his rhythm. He got dominated on the ground. And my stat for that is I didn't realize we talked about his weight cut being like 30 pounds, 35 pounds last week. That's 18% of his body weight that he cuts to get to 125. That's ridiculous, man. I have to piggyback off what you said. He didn't look there. I don't know if it was a physical, uh, like a physical ailment because of the body weight cut or if he wasn't there mentally. It's just he did not look like the champion we have seen at all. He didn't no. look like the guy that, you know, dominated the first fight, even though it was a draw because of, you know, illegal kicks. But we did we just didn't see the juice. There was nothing there from him of note. It's like he didn't finish combinations. He'd throw one big punch and lay it, land it, and then lay back off. He didn't show anything on the ground, got taken down. I mean, hardly showed any wrestling defense. I mean – it was a piss poor effort, in my opinion. Who knows what was going on with the guy physically, mentally. Um, but, you know, Brandon Moreno, dude, he earned it. No, like, no shit talking about Brandon Moreno. I just think it was all on Figgy's side. No, I agree. I think no disrespect to Figgy because he saved the 125-pound division when it was not very entertaining to watch. There were talks that the UFC might get rid of men's 125 because it was so boring. But he kind of saved the division and said, you know, if Figueredo's going to fight, I'll watch flyweights. However, being the first Mexican-born champion to piggyback off of each other, I think Brandon Moreno is definitely going to have a huge impact. And I think we're seeing the resurgence of 125. But the thing that I'm looking at here is Figueredo already came out and said, I want the rematch. I want to fight Moreno again. It's like he quoted him. So his he said, excuse me, I won the first fight. He won the second fight. We got to do the trilogy. I, the draw, I will give to Figueredo in my own head. But again, there's a lot of circumstance there. But my own personal thought is that I don't like how much weight he cuts. I don't think it's healthy. I don't think he's going to be able to extend a career and be a long-term champion if he does that. So I hope Dana says, you got to do something else before you get the 125 rematch. You don't really have anybody else to fight at 125. Go fight a couple of guys at 35. 35 is a really interesting division, and I think his body will do better there. I think, it'd be, no, I think it'd be very interesting if he fought 135. There's nobody else. You know, he's beat Joseph Benavides twice. You know, not obviously – well, yeah, he missed weight one time. But beat him twice in a row. Um, a trilogy would obviously be nice in line. I think the only other guy at 125 that – has any kind of bearing for a title show as me. Askar Imarov? If- Askar Askarov or yeah, Cody Askar, No Askar. Love? I'm leaving it on that. I think we pretty much drew that first round. We hate leaving it to the judges, but we'll see what the judges score that bitch. I'm leaving it on Cody No Love, but I think that's another episode of the Calf Kick Experience. Wrapping up, I'm Zach Gleason. That's G Money, and we're signing out. Later. <laughs>